so glad that you're here today. Hope you enjoyed the worship today. And uh, if this is your first time with us, and I'm uh, so glad that you came. Last Sunday was our very first Sunday here in our new building. And uh, we're so you know, glad that you're back here with us. And if this is your first time as you came in, there's a program. You should have received one as you came in. Inside that program is a little connection card. We ask you to take a minute and fill that out. And just let us know about your visit with us today. We're honored that you're here today to worship with us. And um, how many of you, real quick question, how many of you for the first time last night, you turned the heat on? There we go. How many of you say, man, I, I'm, I'm sticking it out. We have not turned the heat on yet. Let's see those brave folks right here. I see a couple. All right, good for you. Man, what a beautiful fall morning that we're having. I want to start off with a story. In 1924, a young boy named Jack, he was four years old, was at the White House. And he got, the, got in the line with his daddy to meet the president, Calvin Coolidge. And he was noticing in the line that Calvin, President Calvin Coolidge was having a conversation, real brief conversation with every person Every person that shook his hand. And so little Jack, he's like, oh man, I can't wait to hear what President Coolidge is going to tell me. And when, he, when it was his turn, he stepped up to the president and he took his little hand and he shook President Coolidge's hand and he waited for him to hear what he had to say. And this is what Calvin Coolidge said to him. Move along. Move along. He was telling everyone to move along. Well, aren't you glad that when we come to God, he doesn't tell us to move along? Our God wants to know us intimately. He wants to know you. He wants to know me. He wants to be involved in our lives we want to be involved in everything that we do. And the more that you know him, if you're taking notes, the more that you know him, the more that you love him. And the more you love him, the more you want to obey and serve him. Who is God? We said last week, as far as you know God, is as far as you go spiritually. The deeper you get to know him, the deeper your walk is with God. Who is God? Last week we talked about some things about God. I want to continue this idea of who is God. I want to talk about one of the attributes of God today. I want to talk about his unconditional love that he has for you and for me. And as I talk about this today, let me just tell you honestly, you know, I've heard all my life that God loves you, that God loves you, and I believe that with all my heart. But oftentimes, it's hard to apply his love to me. I preach all day, God loves you, God loves you, but sometimes... When I'm thinking about who I am, and I think about how insignificant I am, and I think about how unworthy I am, 
I think that God really loved me. And as we talk about God's love today, I want to start today with two questions that I've often asked myself and perhaps many of you have here today. If you're taking note, the first question I've asked myself over and over and over again is this. Why would God love someone as unworthy as me? Why would God love someone unworthy as me? You see, I know all the things that I've done wrong. I know all the dark thoughts that I've had. I know all the things I've done secretly. I know all the people that I've hurt. In fact, one time, way back in my ministry years, I was just a young intern. <clears throat> and I was in Florida, and I was working at a church. And uh, the, the, one of the lead pastors was like, Scott, let's go build a puppet stage for the kids' ministry. And this lead pastor, one of the lead pastors, not the head pastor, but one of the top guys, and he's just strong. I mean, he, he had a record in Alabama for weightlifting at one time, high school record. I mean, he, this guy's a beast. And uh, he came, he said, we're going to go hammer something, you know, make some nice puppet stage, and, and he's hammering, and he can, he's one of those guys, can, he just tap it, and then one, one strike, and that nail goes straight in. You know, here's me, you know, I'm just, I'm tappy, 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 you know, all the way through to the woods. You know, and he's making me look bad. And I'm like, man, I, you know, and he's kind of making fun of me. I said, that's okay. You know, I can do this. And so I did a little tap, tap, got right there. And I got my hammer in my one hand. I got my hand over here, right next to the nail. Y'all know where this is going, Right. And I'm thinking, I'm going to strike this thing all the way down. I'm going to show him that I'm tough, just like him. And so I swing that hammer down, and I totally missed the nail. I hit my other nail, right here, my thumb. And my little 20-something-year-old head, in my back of my brain, there was this word. And I don't ever, ever, ever say anything like this. I mean, I got my mouth washed out with soap when I was a kid, so I just don't say stuff. But there was this word, and it somehow formed in the back of my head. And it worked its way out. I mean, come on, we are in church. I'm in a church building, building a puppet stage. I am serving Jesus, and in the middle of this, a word came out. The lead pastor, his eyes got wide open, and I'm like, oh, I don't know what that, where that came from. <laughs> Wait, man, we've all done it. You say, man, that's not much. That doesn't sound like a big deal, but it's a big deal to me. How could God love someone as bad, unworthy as me? And I'm just curious, how many of you in here would say, yeah, I've often, feel, oh, I've often felt unworthy or undeserving of the love of God. All of us, we've done that. We've all felt that. In fact, if you look in the, the Word of God, you can see people in the Bible that evidently felt this way as well. You look at Job. Whenever Job really saw God in his purest essence, here's what Job said. In Job 42, he said, My ears had heard of you, 
but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. The Apostle Paul, he was reflecting on all the bad things he had done in his life. He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he said, For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. You can almost hear the insecurity of Paul as he goes back through his life and realize that before he was a Christian, he used to kill Christians. How could God love someone as bad as me? And here's the second question that we often ask ourselves sometimes, is why would God love someone so insignificant? So insignificant. You ever feel this way? Where you think, man, there's seven to eight billion people in the world. People all around the world, and God got all these big things going on. There's wars, there's poverty, there's starvation, there's epidemic all over. Now he got all of these different diseases happening. Who am I? Who am I? I mean, he got all these big players, politicians, celebrities, and yet I'm just one of eight billion people. Who am I in this whole scheme of things that God would know me and love me? And in fact, when you read in the Old Testament, you can see some of the, of the biblical players who perhaps had similar feelings of insignificance. In Exodus chapter 3, when God was going to raise Moses up to help deliver the Israelites, he says, Moses, here's your job. Moses says in chapter 3, verse 11, he said, But God, who am I? Who am I? I'm a nobody. I'm not good enough. I'm insignificant. He said, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? David, he said the exact same thing. Whenever he had God's people together and they were going to worship God and to, and to give to God in the temple, instead of 1 Chronicles chapter 29, but who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Who are we? I mean, everything we have is from you. God, we're insignificant. We're bad. We're unworthy. God, how could you love someone like me? And here's what I want you to understand. And this next minute here is the key to the whole message. It's the key. And if you don't remember anything else today, remember this. In the Bible, God is not a God who doesn't just love you. God doesn't just love but God is love, if you're taking notes. Love is not just something that God does. Love is who God is. Love is who God is. Who is God? God is love. First John chapter 4, verse 8. Whoever does not love 
does not know God because God is love. Verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. You want to know how God showed it? Here it is. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. You want to know what love is? Verse 10. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Love is not just what God does. Love is who he is. And when we, when we recognize that, that it's not just an action that God does, when we recognize that, that it is a reflection of the essence of, of who he is, then that changes everything. There's nothing that I can do to earn more love. And there's nothing that I can do to stop him from loving me more because it's not just something he does, you see. Love is who he is. Let me explain it to you this way because so many people have a hard time recognizing his love. And I put together a list of different types of people that God loves. Starting with the ABCs. Now, we could have gone through the whole alphabet, but that would be like the whole month here. So we don't have time to do the whole alphabet. I just want to do A, B, C's. Who does God love? Let's start with A. God loves artists, astronauts, aerospace engineers. God loves accordion players. That's hard to believe. <laughs> but it's true. God loves animal rights activists, airplane pilots, athletes. Acrobats, accountants, especially during tax seasons. God loves people from Alabama, Alaska, Africa, Albania. God loves absent-minded people, awkward people. My son, he's 12 years old. He's one of them. And he'll tell you, he got a T-shirt. I'm trying to get him a T-shirt that said, don't mind me, I'm awkward. Assertive people. Authoritarian people, antisocial people, even aggravating people. Who does God love? Let it be. God loves babies and boys and bankers, band leaders, ballerinas, Bible readers, and biology teachers. He loves bird watchers, bus drivers, bookworms, bachelors, bachelorettes, bowlers, baby boomers. Boomerang throwers, beekeepers, BBC watchers. <laughs> he likes watching BBC. He loves you too. He loves the blondes. He loves the brunettes. He even loves the British people. <laughs> and if you're deaf like me and you sound like he's British, he loves those too. Who does God love? God loves the beat-ups. He loves the burnout. The bosses, braggers, bag ladies, bartenders, brats, people with braces, bushmen, and Baptists. <laughs> you know what? Not only did God love Baptists, let us see, he loved the Catholics. He loved the Charismatics. He loved the Congregationalists and Congressmen, Congresswomen, 
crooks. He loved creeps. He loved the cheaters. He even loved country music band. I mean, that's how big his love is. God loved the Cubans, the Caucasians. He loved the Californians, the Cambodians, Cherokees, and the Comanches, and even the Cajuns. God loved crooks, celebrities, cops, cheerleaders, clowns, cheapskates, comedians. God doesn't just love, you see, it's who he is. And we recognize who he is. When we recognize that he is love, that changes everything. The early church leader, St. Augustine, he puts it down like this. God loves each one of us as if there were only one of us. He loves each one of us as if there were only one of us. Here are two things I want you to remember about the love of God this morning. And the next time you feel unworthy, the next time you feel undeserving of his love, remember this. If you're taking notes, God's love covers your sins. God's love covers your sins. Jesus shed his blood as a covering for our sins. 1 John chapter 4, verse number 10. We read this already, but let me go back to it. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. If you want to underline the word atoning, atoning means a covering. And it's saying that our sinful lives, when we come to Christ, is covered by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 4, the second half of that verse, verse number 8, the Bible says that love covers over a multitude of sins. God's love, it covers your sins. And this is so important because some of you tried so hard to feel worthy of God's love, but you never get there. Instead, you think you've got to work harder, you've got to stop doing bad things, you've got to be more religious, I've got to do more, I've got, I got to uh, make more people happy. And we need to understand that God truly loves you through Christ, and that you could be made right with him, not by your works, not by what you have done, but by the love of God and by his grace and mercy that he gave to us. Earlier this year, I did a message on this idea. Some of you might remember these two points. What you cover, God uncovers. In other words, when you try to hide your sins, make sure your sins will find you out. He will uncover it at one point or another. It will come out. What you try to cover up, God will always uncover. But here's the second thought. What you uncover, God covers. What you uncover when you come to Christ, when you come to God and confess your sins, 
when you go to him in agreement with your actions and say, God, I have sinned and I'm seeking your forgiveness, God covers us with his love, mercy, grace, and forgiveness. He covers us with the blood and the sacrifice that his son Jesus gave us. Romans 5, verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the demonstration of who God is, of the love of God, that he sent his son. While we were yet sinners, you see, he didn't wait for you. He didn't wait for me to clean up our dirty lives. He didn't wait for us to, to sweep it all up under the rugs and look perfect. He didn't wait. He said, why were yet sinners? And there's this idea sometimes, saying, you know what? I can't come to Christ until I get better in my life. Until I get some things in order. Then I can come back to Christ. Then I can come to know Christ. But I'm not ready for it because I'm so unworthy. And I'm here to say that while you were sinning, he died for you. He showed his love. He showed his love. There's a biblical term that says that when you come to Christ, you become born again. When Christ covers your life with his righteousness and grace, you become born spiritually. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new in Christ. Understand, God doesn't just love. God is love. His love covers a multitude of sin. What you uncover, God covers with his forgiveness and grace and mercy. You see this on display going all the way back in the garden. Remember when Adam and Eve, you know, before they sinned, they were naked and they were not ashamed. But then they sinned. And when they sinned, they became ashamed. They knew they did wrong. So what could God do? God took an innocent animal. He took the life of that innocent animal and he covered their shame to cover their nakedness with the skin of that animal. That's the first example of atonement, the covering. When it came to God and said, we've sinned. We've sinned. In the New Testament, when Jesus told a story about a son who left home and went partied hard, wasted his father's wealth, sinned and lived his life, and the Bible says, in riotous living. So he finally came home. He came home filthy. He came home undeserving. He didn't deserve the forgiveness. Just like we don't deserve God's love, he didn't deserve forgiveness and the love of the family. But what did the father do? The father he welcomed him back. And one of the things he did, he took the robe and covered him. He covered him. If you are unworthy today, well, guess what? You are, and so am I. However, that's what makes his love so beautiful. His love covers our sins. And we can come to him. We can come to him and received his love. I love the way it phrased in Titus chapter 3, verse 4 and 5. 
But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. When the love of God appeared, God's love covers our sin, not because of the righteous things that we've done. In fact, I was reading the past week in my Bible in Isaiah. There was a passage in Isaiah. I don't have it here, but I came across it. I highlighted it because it's so true. The Bible says that all of our righteousness are as filthy rags in his sight. Not because of our good work, because it's not good enough. But it doesn't matter. The love of God trumps our actions, our lives. Here's the second thing. When you start to feel very insignificant, remember this. God's love makes you significant. It makes you significant. It is his love that makes you who he wants you to be. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3, second part of this verse, it says, I have loved you. This is what God, God saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. God has drawn some of you here today with a loving, unfailing kindness. You might say, well, there's so many of us here in the world. And how could God care about me? How could he care about me? I feel so insignificant. Three quick stories. You can read this in Luke chapter 15. I've already told one, but I'm going to touch on it again because this is perfect because it shows the love of God all the way through and through. The first story is about a woman who had ten coins and lost a coin. And so she rip out, rip out, rip apart her house searching for that one lost coin. Of course, the second story we should talk about the father who had two sons, right? One son had left home. And Every day, that father is out on the edge of town, hoping, waiting, watching, begging for his son to return. It's a picture of God's love. It's a picture of God's love. The third story Jesus told about was a shepherd. He had a hundred sheep. And at the end of the day, as the sheep were coming back into the fold, as he was bringing them back home, he'd give them a head count, a sheep count. And he stopped at 99. And that was it. He came out with 100, came back at 99. Now, in this time period, 99% is a pretty good score. 99% says, you know what, I lost one, and I hate that happens, you know, but he probably lost. He's probably gone, probably eaten by a wild animal. And so most shepherds at this point would be like, hey, count my loss. And it's all good. It is what it is. But not this shepherd. The Bible said that this shepherd left the 99 because his love caused him to pursue the one. So yes, even though there are 7, 8 billion people in the world and you feel like you don't matter, 
I want you to understand. You matter to God. You matter. If you were the only person in the whole world in need of a Savior, God would have sent his son to die for you. You matter. Maybe you're here today, you used to walk with God, but you walk away. I want you to understand that his loving kindness is drawing you back. Perhaps you've ended up in a divorce and you have shame and guilt and remorse over the whole situation. You might feel unworthy. I want you to understand that God's loving kindness is drawing you to himself. Maybe you've never been part of a church, but something is happening today and there's something drawing you to God today. And that's his love. You are drawn to his love, and that is his loving kindness that's pulling you toward himself. Maybe you're here and you have a pornography problem. You feel dirty. You feel too unworthy. You think that God doesn't love you, but he's loving you right now. Because love is not something that he just does. Love is something that he is. Maybe you've been an atheist, a skeptic. Maybe you don't really believe in God, but you're here. And something's happening in your life. Something's coming on inside of you. And that's God loving you. He's loving you. Because it's not just what he does. It's who he is. And he's pursuing you. He's drawing you with his loving kindness. John 3, 16. For God so love, and then you see the blank. You see blank. And here's what you can do. I took the word world out. And I want you to put your name in it. For God so loved, Scott Blanchard. For God so loved, Bob. For God so loved, Nancy. God loved Stacy, Allison, and Abigail. God loved Ron and Susan. For God so loved you that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not die, shall not perish, but have eternal life. Because love is not something that God does. Love is who he is. Romans 8, verse 38. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. His love never fails. His love is universal. His love is eternal. His love is unconditional. God's love is for you. He never gives up. You might be here today asking a question. 
How do I experience God's amazing love? And the answer is simply this. When you receive him, when you receive his son Jesus to come into your life and let him be Lord of your life. Let him be the savior of your life. Recognize the fact that what you have won't make it. Doesn't matter if you if you've been in church all your life. It doesn't matter if you've been confirmed or baptized. The Bible says all of our righteousness, all of our stuff won't take it. The only thing that matters if you receive God's love into your life. In just a minute, maybe there's someone here. I did it last week, I'll do it again today. Maybe there's someone here who says, no, I've never asked Jesus to come to my life. But today, something is pursuing me, and I feel the presence of God in my life. Today, I want to receive him. His loving kindness, he's waiting for you. He's knocking on the door of your heart. He's waiting for you. And today, you can ask Jesus to come in your life right where you're at, right where you're sitting. You can ask him to be your Savior. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love and kindness. We thank you that you are love. Yes, you demonstrate love. You love us, but you are love. And it's hard for us to understand that completely. But you demonstrated it. By sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for all of us. God, maybe there's someone here today that they need you. They need your son Jesus in their life. God, there may be some of us here that we need to uncover our sins to you and you alone. Not to me, not to another pastor, not to anyone else. But we uncover our sin to you so that you can cover us with forgiveness, with your grace and mercy. Head bow and eye closed. It says, God, you're talking to me. You're talking to me. I don't know Jesus, but today I want to receive him into my life. I want him to be Lord and Savior. And if that's you today, all you have to do is simply pray a prayer, simply like this. You believe it with all your heart. You're not praying it to me. You're not praying to anybody else. You can pray in the silence of your heart. God hears when you pray to him. And here's how you can pray to him this morning. You can say, dear God, I'm a sinner. I've tried all these things in my life. I still feel unworthy. I still feel insignificant. But today, I want to come to you. I want you to cover my life with your forgiveness. I want you to cover my life with grace and mercy. I don't deserve it. But thank you. Come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. I want to have a life walking with you 
so that I can go to heaven when I die. With head bowed and eye closed, says God, today I pray that prayer and I ask Jesus for the first time to come into my life. If that's you, no one's looking. I'm not going to make you stand up. I just want to see who you are. You say, I pray that prayer. If that's you, we simply raise your hand. Anybody in the room? I see one hand back in the middle. I see a hand over here. Thank you. Put your hand down. Anyone else? Anyone else? God, we thank you for your amazing love. I pray that we will walk out of here. I pray that we will remember that you love us so much. I pray that we will carry the love of God's word and the love of his son, Jesus. God, I pray that we will share that love to a world that needs it, to a world that's dying and don't know you. God, I pray that people will see us, that they will see you. And that they will hear about what you have done in each and every one of our lives. God, thank you for those who made a decision today. We thank you for your word. In your name I pray. Amen.